facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the Thursday after Ash Wednesday. It's day two of Lent. We're going to go on the journey together through the wilderness to the promised land. 888-914-914 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me. 888-914-9149. You can also email the show. Love to hear from you. Kale at RelevantRadio.com. C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com. You can also find me on Twitter. You can tweet at me. At Kale Clark. C-A-L-E Clark with an E. We have a show account too at Kale Clark Show. Well, later in the program, I'm going to be sharing with you a great story from producer Jim's hometown of St. Louis. There's a parish there that has really embraced kind of an elevated form of the liturgy. And they've really just doubled down on doing Mass well. And far from turning people off, people are coming to this parish in droves. The average age, get this, the average age of the parishioners is 25. How do they do it? We're going to explain later in the show. Plus, and producer Jim, you have to hold me to this. I don't want to disappoint the people. I will give you once and for all, this is totally legit, the cure for hiccups. Now, I know that might sound mundane, but from time to time, we all have to deal with this. I'm going to tell you how you can fit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Jim himself is, uh, is uh, shall we say, afflicted at the moment. But but no, this is, I, I wish I knew this when I was a kid. There are all kinds of old wives' tales and superstitious things that people used to try to do to get rid of their hiccups. I'll tell you what my mom told me to do. It didn't work. But I do have the actual legit cure. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. But once again, the number to call, 888 And producer Jim, just to let you know, I've got that funny screen thing going on again. But uh, you're a pro. You'll fix that for me. Hey, as I said, it's day two of Lent. And uh, I wanted to share with you once again. There we go. Thanks, Jim. The... Wonderful little devotional entry from Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, uh, the Daughters of St. Paul. That's a tongue twister. And uh, anyways, uh, she has written a, a wonderful Lenten devotional called Remember Your Death, the Memento Mori devotional. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. I wanted to share with you what she put in for today, the Thursday after Ash Wednesday. And the, the gospel of today is pretty interesting, and she kind of ties into that. So I'll just read to you in case you uh, didn't get a chance to go to Mass or attend virtually through um, the Parish of the Internet on a Relevant Radio. We have the Daily Mass right before the Faith Explained program at 12 p.m. Central, uh, followed by the Faith Explained. But today's Gospel came to us from Luke chapter 9. Jesus said to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And so, just to interject there a little bit, sometimes people think that there's no way that Jesus could have predicted his own death. Sometimes people want to say, well, the church made this up after the fact, and they put words in Jesus' mouth. He never actually said that. They're just trying to make him sound like a prophet. Well, I'm going to deal with that objection later in the program. But anyways, let's get back to the gospel reading. Then Jesus said to all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
What profit is there for one to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit himself? And I love uh, Luke's version of this because he's the guy who says, take up your cross daily. That's in Luke's gospel. So every day we've got to do this. And so let's, let's see what uh, Sister Teresa has to say in her Memento Mori, Remember Your Death, uh, Lenten devotional for this day. She says, quote, Memento Mori is not only a practice of the church fathers and the saints. Jesus remembered his death his whole life long. And again, I'm going to tell you later why that is, in fact, quite plausible, that he knew how he was going to die. In today's gospel, Jesus tells us that in order to follow him, we need to take up our cross daily. What does he mean? Is he just speaking metaphorically, urging us to accept life's suffering? Or is he referring to something more literal? Of course, Jesus is not telling us to drag a wooden cross with us to work, social outings, and around the house, but perhaps he is speaking more literally than we might imagine. As Jesus made his way to the place of the skull with the wood of the cross bearing down on his strong shoulders, what was on his mind? His future success among the Jewish religious elite, how much money he had saved from carpentry work, his past popularity with the people? No, he was thinking about his death. He did not just begin carrying his cross on that fateful day. He began the moment he was laid on the wood of the manger. In his divinity, Jesus always knew that his life would end on the cross. In this way, his entire life was lived in the spirit of memento mori. Remember your death. In imitation of Jesus, we too are called to live in the same spirit. As St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God as beloved children. End of quote. So yeah, that, that's something that Jesus did as well. Uh, he was always thinking about the day of his death. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So let's just deal with this right now, this whole concept that no, he, he really couldn't have been that, that accurate in his predictions. Uh, there's no way that Jesus could have known how he was going to die ahead of time. That, that is simply not the case. Simply not the case at all. And I'm going to tell you uh, what you can, how you can respond to somebody who might, who might ask you that. So, what, again, what skeptics allege here is that this is what's called prophecy ex eventu which means prophecy after the fact. So this idea is the early church simply put words in Jesus' mouth and made his quote-unquote predictions you know, match what actually happened in history. But there, there are a number of reasons why we can actually believe that Jesus really predicted that he would be killed and that he would be crucified. But a couple of housekeeping items, first of all. Number one, I'm only going to talk about here his prophecies about his death. We could also mention his prophecies about his resurrection, but that's going to have to wait for another time, maybe later on in Lent. And as Sister Teresa said in her Lenten devotional, it's a somewhat obvious fact that Jesus was his God, so that's one way he could have known the future. Uh, those of us who already believe this, who believe in the divinity of Christ, we're not really going to need too much convincing on that front. So let me just focus here on arguments that a skeptic might find plausible. A skeptical person, maybe an atheist, maybe an agnostic, maybe a member of another religion who is not quite convinced that Jesus is divine, but doubts that he could predict his own death that accurately. And also, for the purposes of this argument, I'm going to assume we, we know that the Bible is the Word of God. It's 
the inspired word of God. However, I'm just going to look at the text in question here the way the, the same way a skeptic would. I'm not going to—you don't have to believe the Bible is the Word of God for this argument to work, although I certainly do personally. Uh, we as Catholics do. But we're going to look at the text just like a skeptic would look at any religious text that claims to be saying something historical, talking about something that really happened. So now we just read uh, Luke's version of this, but it's also in the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark's Gospel— which was the first gospel written, by the way, Jesus makes three different predictions about his fate. And he talks about in Mark chapter 8, um, verse 31 to 35, I'm just going to read this to you real quick. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Now, Peter was always telling Jesus what to do, right? We don't want to get in that position, by the way, in our personal prayer, especially this Lent. Don't tell Jesus what to do. We can certainly ask him for things, ask to discover his will. But it's like at the Last Supper, hey, Jesus, if you wash my feet, yeah, I will never let you do this. It's too humiliating for you. He, oh, look, if you don't if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. I have nothing to do with you. Oh, okay, well, then just Hose me down all the way then, from head to toe. I did. Okay, let's go for it. But Peter was always telling Jesus what to do. Anyways, Jesus called to him the multitude with his disciples and said to them, if, anyone, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So very similar to what we just saw in Luke's gospel. So the other two places in Mark where Jesus says this is Mark 9, 31 and Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. So when, when scholars examine the gospel, uh, one of the criterion that they use for whether or not it's authentic, it's called the criterion of embarrassment. What does that mean? Well, if something in the text, if something in the gospel is a potential source of embarrassment, either for Jesus or for the early church, there's a great probability that it actually happened. That's an authentic reminiscence. So th think about this passage, how embarrassing it is for the early church. Peter, who is the first pope, the leader of the early church, is seen to be publicly rebuking his master. That's not a good look. So then Jesus has to rebuke Peter, turns around and rebukes him. So just even telling this account could potentially undermine Peter's authority in the early church. And don't forget it, when it comes to Mark's gospel, Peter is the source behind Mark. Uh, Mark was essentially Peter's scribe, wrote down all his preaching. It was sent to the church at Rome. So this is the great humility of Peter shining through as well. He would have related this account at great potential embarrassment to himself. He basically told the story on himself. Same with him denying Jesus over the fire in the courtyard of the high priest, denying him three times. That all, we wouldn't have known a lot of these details if Peter hadn't said them himself. But there's another potentially embarrassing fact here that we have to consider. Not only does Jesus predict his own death, but he expects his own disciples to follow him in this death, to pick up their cross daily and follow him. But as my good friend and, and professor, Dr. Craig Evans, he used to point out all the time. What's interesting is Jesus himself was unable to do 
what he actually asked his own followers to do. How do we know this? Well, in Mark's gospel, just like in the other gospels, somebody else, all, 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 all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all note that someone else, namely Simon of Cyrene, has to carry Jesus' cross for him. So it's highly unlikely that Mark would have invented this saying or invented what Simon did. You know, it's embarrassing in a certain sense that Jesus couldn't carry his cross. He said, you got to pick up your cross and carry it. He couldn't do it. Now, obviously, we know why. He was absolutely devastated by the incredible beating, the, the sleepless night at the courtyard of the high priest. And in his little dungeon, he was roughed up there by the temple thugs. And then he was turned over to Pilate and uh, brutalized in the, the scourging at the pillar and all, all that stuff. I mean, that, that did kill people. Sometimes just the flogging alone would kill people in the in antiquity. So loss of blood. So, it, but it's it's highly unlikely that Mark would have invented this saying or what Simon did, especially when you think about the fact that Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus, are actually members of the church at Rome. This is how they met Jesus. Simon meets Jesus on the way of the cross, converts. His sons become Christians, and they are members of the congregation. They are in the church at Rome. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, it actually mentions these guys. Um, Romans chapter 16, verse 13, another letter sent to the church at Rome, also mentions Rufus. So these guys are, they could corroborate, yeah, did this really happen? Totally happened. My, my dad carried his cross. So this is great uh, historical uh, veracity there. And Jesus did know that he easily could have, uh, even without the divinity factor, known what was going to happen to him. Don't forget, his relative, his forerunner, John the Baptist, What he, he himself met his doom. Jesus affirmed John's message of repentance in preparation for the coming kingdom of God, which is, that's, that's the message that led to John's death. Jesus clearly knew that by saying, yes, John was a real prophet, by continuing uh, in that vein, obviously Jesus goes beyond this, of course, and John's message is ultimately about Jesus being the Lamb of God. He knew that he ran the risk of suffering John's fate. In fact, Jesus even sends a little, a little email or a little text, a little telegram to John's executioner, Herod Antipas. Don't forget that in Luke chapter 13. It says at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So, hey, not all Pharisees were bad. Some of them were trying to save Jesus' life. Get out of here. Herod knows you're here. He wants to take you out. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, Herod. <laughs> he did not think highly of him. Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. So he knows. He, he says, prophets do perish in that city. I know what's going to happen here. More than a prophet, of course, with Jesus in his case. But he arrives in Jerusalem. He teaches about John, by the way, in the temple precincts. Uh, Jesus tells the parable of the wicked vineyard tenants. In Mark chapter 12, he clearly identifies himself with the beloved son in the parable who gets killed. So this is another piece of the puzzle. But shortly before he was arrested, here, here's the final sort of piece of evidence here. 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, it says, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. His soul is sorrowful, and he prays that his hour might pass him by. So the fact that he was greatly distressed, and he, he's praying to, if there's any way out of the suffering, let's do it. But obviously there wasn't. There wasn't. So again, this is the criterion of embarrassment. There's no way that the church would have put this in unless it actually happened. It's, it's highly unlikely that a Christian would invent Jesus saying, you know, please save me from this. I, I don't want the cross. But I, he's troubled. He's distressed. They're, they would have had, you know, if, they're, if you're making up a story, you're going to have him resolutely facing this. No, I was never scared even for a moment. But this is real. This is what actually happened. He, he obviously carried on. Great fortitude. But we can say a lot more about this, but I think this is enough to, to show you that we, we have really, really good warrant to believe that Jesus did prophesy his passion. He knew, and he wanted his disciples to know, that his mission was to culminate at the cross, the events of the Tritium that we will observe later, of course, during that, that special season. So holy, it's a, it's a three-day season within Holy Week, the Tritium, the sacred, tri sacred Tritium. And so, yes, Jesus really did predict his own death. All right, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. Going to take a quick break right now, but we'll be back with that amazing parish in St. Louis. And how is it that they were able to revitalize in only six years? They're bursting at the seams with youth, children, the average age, 25 years old. Amazing. We'll tell you how right after the break. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So glad to be with you. Hey, before the break, we were talking about, did Jesus really predict his own death, or is that something the church made up later? Hint, he did really predict it. If you missed uh, what we were talking about before the show, including a little look at a Lenten devotional, day two from the Memento Mori devotional by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, daughter of St. Paul. It's a really, really good one. You should check it out. I try to do that each day in Lent. Let's make it a habit. Let's uh, make it appointment listening here on the Kale Clark Show. But anyways, if you missed that, the podcast will be up uh, shortly after the program. Producer Jim will put it up there, won't you, Jim? That's right. You got it. Yeah. As quick as possible. <laughs> hey, you know, we were talking during the break, and, you know, I'm really glad you talked about your last topic because just a week ago, my son Sebastian was asking, he said, Daddy, does, did Jesus know when he was young that he was going to suffer? And so I said, the short answer is yes, but for the long answer, give Kayla a call. So <laughs> you were prophetic. You covered it. So I'm going to have him listen to the podcast himself. <laughs> oh, well, there, there you go. Well, th well, I hope, I hope Sebastian finds it uh, enlightening and I've met Sebastian. He's a great, great kid. Great kid. So, and it's, it's good for me to know this too, because sometimes I'm like, are people even asking this question? But apparently they are. Apparently they are. And, and here's another question. Let's go to the phones right now. And you can call in by the way to 888-914-9149. Let's go to Brooke in San Jose, California. Hi, Brooke. Hi, how are you? Thank I'm you well. for taking my call. Sure. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I was wondering, being that uh, Jesus did predict his own death, mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering how Judas played into that. Did he mm. know Judas was going to betray him? 
Did he know Judas was going to kill himself? Um, I'm wondering if it says anywhere in the scriptures about that. Um, I'm not very proficient with with the Gospels. I'm trying to learn more. But I'm wondering what your thoughts were on that. Well, thanks for the question, Brooke. Really appreciate that, and thanks for for calling in. I, I really appreciate your listening and and calling in with that question. Call any time, and this is part of the mystery of the incarnation. You know, how much did Jesus? He is, of course, divine, but he's also hundred percent human. He had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk, and so part of this will always be a, a bit of a mystery. But when it comes to Judas, of course, one of the things that Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John's Gospel, I have not lost any of the ones that you've given to me. Of course, he's praying to his Heavenly Father, except for the one who is destined for perdition. And so, and of course, even at the Last Supper, John, you know, Peter asks, hey, John is sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Can you ask Jesus who's going to betray you? And he's like, hey, who's going to do it? And then Jesus says, oh, it's the guy who's about to dip his bread in the... In the uh, little mixture of olive oil and you know, no, I don't know if that's what it was, but but so he he's he seems to have known. He seems to have known. So divine foreknowledge there. But yeah, we we could talk about that a little bit more as we get closer and closer to Holy Week, the events of Holy Week, uh, right here on the Kale Clark show. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the gospels too, one thing you could try is go to the Faith Explain page on relevantradio.com just go to our shows go to the faith explain because the first thing i did actually when i started the faith explain program on relevant radio was i wanted to get people familiar with the life of christ through the gospel of mark so we did a series on mark i hope it's still there uh on the show page if not i'll have to contact uh, the digital team and make sure they, they get it back up there but um that, that's that's one way you could do it just try to go through mark maybe read a chapter a day it's a good thing to do during lent uh, go through one of the Gospels, try to get more engaged with Scripture. And this is where we really encounter Jesus Christ. And St. Jose Maria Escrivá said, we've got to be so familiar with the life of Jesus that we can play it back in our mind like a movie, almost. And the only way to do that is to consistently spend time there, because that's where we encounter the real Jesus, not the caricatures of Jesus that are so prevalent in the culture. Uh, his voice is unmistakably clear, uh, speaking to us uh, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, Brooke, thank you very much for calling in. Appreciate that. And speaking about discovering Jesus in a new way, I wanted to tell you about something that's going on, a big revival. And there's a, there's a bit of a, I don't know if you've heard about this, there's an Asbury revival in Asbury, Kentucky. There is a Protestant revival that's happening. A lot of people think it's a movement of the Holy Spirit. I'll have to talk about this on the show at some point, but there's a bit of a revival going on on the Catholic side of the equation in producer Jim's hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. In fact, it's under the watchful eye of Father Michael Rainier, and he is hopefully going to be, if you're listening, Father Michael, I'd love to get you on the show at some point, and um, we might be able to pull that off in, in the coming days. Interesting guy. He's a convert from the Anglican Communion. Uh, He's a former Anglican priest, I believe. He's now a Catholic priest. And he is the pastor at Epiphany of Our Lord Church in the St. Louis area. And when he became the pastor, and I think he got in there about six years ago, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Producer Jim, but uh, he's been there for about six years. And when when he got to that parish, I think this is really smart. As a pastor, he asked his parishioners, what do you want out of this parish? 
And the answer that he kept getting over and over again was, quote, a beautiful, devout Sunday experience. Hmm. Okay. And there was a great piece that came out uh, about him. Actually, it was on Valentine's Day this came out in the National Catholic Register. So one of the things that drew him, Father Rainier, to the Catholic Church was the liturgy, was the beauty of the Mass. And in fact, he's got a book coming out next month called The Forgotten Language, How Recovering the Poetics of the Mass Will Change Our Lives. That sounds like a really interesting read. And so at first he tried like kind of baby steps. Uh, he was basically teaching the, the altar servers how to basically comport themselves, how to be respectful in the sanctuary. He kind of upgraded their, their altar vestments a little bit. And then he started introducing the use of incense and Gregorian chant. Now, some people are not fans of this, especially with the no sense is good sense crowd. Uh, they don't like incense at mass. They don't like people wearing perfume or cologne. Um, I know producer Jim likes to wear his Brute 33 when he goes to mass. No, I'm just kidding. But but anyways, people don't like that. So, But I, I love incense. And of course, incense is, is obviously associated with prayer uh, in, in the scriptures, this idea of bowls of incense in the book of Revelation. We did a series on that on Revelation as part of the faith explained as well. And so this is what it means. Our, our prayer is rising up to God. But some people are incensed by it, of course. And uh, I love it. I, I love the quote-unquote smells and bells <laughs> of Catholic liturgy. But at any rate, uh, so he started introducing incense, Father Rainier at Epiphany of Our Lord Church in St. Louis, Gregorian chant at one of the Sunday Masses, at one of them. The other ones were, were unchanged. And then he started giving the servers cassocks to wear. And then, I don't know what the neighborhood thought of this, but at the consecration, he would actually make sure that the tower bell of the, of the parish church was rung when the consecration happened. So forget about the little bells, you know, that, that the, uh, the altar server might have ringing at the, at the consecration. They rang the ba-ding, ba-ding. The, the, <laughs> probably didn't sound that, that, that bad, but, but, you know, really nice bells in, in the bell tower. And... A lot of churches, they, they, they can't do that because there, there are neighborhood complaints, there are noise complaints, which I think is, well, you can imagine what I might think of that. But, but at any rate, uh, that's what he did. And he would catechize people from the pulpit. He would kind of, I guess, do something similar to what Father Rocky's doing with Lenten lessons on the Mass. And you can sign up in case you haven't already. Go to relevantradio.com slash Lent. And uh, every day in your inbox, you're going to get a nice video les- lesson from Father on an aspect of the Mass. But that's essentially what Father Rainier did. He made sure people knew what was happening, catechized them on the liturgy, put some more explanations in the parish bulletin, talked to the kids of the parish and their religion classes. But there, but he, I think this is also very pastorally wise. There were some parishioners that he knew wouldn't necessarily be on board with this for whatever reason. And so he left a bunch of other masses at the parish unchanged. He didn't mess with the liturgy there. The way they were doing it before... He just kind of left it as is. So people had a choice. Now, some people still left. Some people still left the parish, and that, that always happens for various reasons. So you're always going to get a bit of, of attrition there. But um, at, at the time when he started there six years ago, it was, it was a rough spot for the parish because the parochial school connected with the church had shut down. And so whenever that happens, usually there's an outflow of families with small children, but at Epiphany of Our Lord Parish right now, the median age, I couldn't believe this, the median age of the parishioners is 25. 
That's unbelievable. That, that is phenomenal for, for a Catholic parish in the United States. Lots of kids, lots of young families, and the future looks really, really bright. So here, here's another thing, too, that, that Father did, Father Rainier. He added a children's chant camp. Now, I, if, you, if you're thinking, what kid would want to go to that? Hey, hey, Junior, I've signed you up for Latin chant camp this summer. Oh, great, Dad. Thank you. Uh, but the kids actually love it. And, and you'd be surprised. I've seen this happen, not, not so much with, well, I guess a little bit with younger kids. Uh, we actually caught uh, Michaela the other day singing the Salve Regina in Latin. Now, she doesn't know what the words mean necessarily. She learned it phonetically just by hearing people sing it at her school, at her Catholic school. And I thought it was really cool. We kind of recorded it. <laughs> and uh, um, at any rate, kids, don't, est- don't underestimate wh- what kids are interested in when it comes to this stuff. I, I ran a, a group for high school students some years ago. It was called the Dead Theologian Society. There's a guy named Eddie Cotter Jr. who started this group, the Dead Theologian Society. Obviously, it's a play on Robin Williams, the Dead Poet Society movie. And he, he sort of created this environment for high school kids in his own parish church because he was concerned about his own teenagers, and there really wasn't anything there that was attractive to them. So he started this separate youth group called the Dead Theologian Society. The kids all got these black hoodies when they joined. It was kind of like... You know, joining the secret club, they met in this underground chapel. It was dark. There was incense, candles. They played Gregorian chant. You would think that this would not be appealing to high school students, but they came in droves and droves, and then they expanded all over the place. So I was involved in starting the, the first chapter uh, in Canada, and Eddie Cotter Jr. came up. We He, he kind of got us going, and I, I couldn't believe it. The, the high school students that, that were coming, they just could not get enough of this. Gregorian chant... It was so different from anything that they were experiencing in their everyday lives. They were so packed with activities, overscheduled, full of social media. They could actually come to a place where they could reflect, they could pray, they could enjoy sacred silence. Uh, some of the the physicality, the, the sensual aspects of the faith with incense and, and chant. Anyway, it was a winner, 100%. And so... Father Rainier at Epiphany of Our Lord Parish in St. Louis, he added this children's chant camp uh, to his offerings that he has there. And this really helped the kids participate at Mass because they could, they could actually learn the liturgy. And he said this in, in the interview in the National Catholic Register. He said, quote, Younger Catholics do not need kiddie music. They respond extremely positively to chant. And I have multiple videos that parents have sent me of their little ones singing Kyrie eleisons at home while they're playing, end of quote. So I think that's true. I think kids can learn this stuff. There's no question. Adults can too. And they've gone from having only a handful of altar servers to a full stable of altar servers, and they, they're kind of in competition with one another to, to who can serve, as to who can serve the best. And it's just a really, really interesting um, little piece in the National Catholic register. He's had to add new confession times. People have come back to confession as well as uh, back to the liturgy. And so he said, quote, I see this as a sign that the Mass has been turning parishioners' hearts towards God. They are thirsty for a strong interior life to know Jesus better, to clear out space for him in their hearts, end of quote. Lots of baptisms. There's a group of men who every first Friday they will fast for certain intentions. 
a holy hour led by young adults, a mother support group, and there's a coffee hour, which is one of the easiest things you can do. Is just hey, let's have coffee and donuts, and people will talk. They'll get to know each other. They'll they'll form relationships. The families will meet, and communities within communities, kind of wheels within wheels, will form. And so, but it all really started with with the mass and with um, kind of elevating it, uh, if you will. And so, I I just think this is really interesting, and and I do look forward to in the future talking with Father Rainier because. He was really converted by beauty, the beauty of the liturgy. And uh, he actually was raised as a Pentecostal, as a Protestant Pentecostal. And uh, he went to Yale Divinity School, uh, became an Anglican cleric. Um, but it was the beauty of the liturgy that really uh, got to him. So I think this is really amazing. I think this is a great sign for the church. And uh, Judy Roberts from National Catholic Register wrote that piece try to put a link to it in our show notes. All right. While well, you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, if you want to react to that, if you have a question about something else, you can call in 888-914-9149. When we come back, I'm going to share with you my perspective on the fact that we really can't do it all. I, I don't know. if I, It's hard to do everything uh, well that we need to do <laughs> that's one thing that was said about Jesus in the gospel. He has done all things well, but sometimes we struggle to fill up all the buckets. I'll explain after this. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's the Kale Clark Show. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. That's right, 888-914-9149 is the number to call for the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Jerry in Frankfurt, Illinois. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Kale. How are you? I'm good. Thanks uh, for calling in. Oh, because you hit a nerve. It's, yeah, I, I agree completely with everything you, 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 you're talking about. Um young people and people who could be at a funeral or at a wedding um, and there's more ritual and there's, you know, more of the music and more. And I've, I've seen a lot of, of friends and, and, you know, people who once they've been exposed to that, they, they've actually been more interested in the church. And, mm. you know, our, to me, the, the stars of the church are, you know, they're the saints and the rituals and, and the history and the music and everything that you're talking about. When people really see them, they, they really respond positively, almost uniformly. Yeah, so it's, yeah it's interesting, Jerry. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it draws them so much? You know what? I think because um, it, it brings, there's more depth, there's more meaning. You know, instead of it just being this, this homogenized thing and, well, everybody could do this. and it, No, um, it, it means something to be a Catholic, and it means something to be Christian. And, mm. you know, heaven isn't just, it, it, it's, it's not easy to get there. And we fall, and we're forgiven, and it, it, I think it just gives more depth and more meaning. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%, Jerry, and thank you so much for calling in. As Jerry and Frank recall in any time, my friend, 
I do think that when people are exposed to the real thing, uh, the counterfeits just kind of aren't appealing anymore. And, and true Catholicism lived out is uh, is an irresistible experience. So we're, we're drawn to, uh, and this is one of the things that I'm sure Father Rainier is going to talk about uh, in his book and how he was drawn to Catholicism, the transcendentals, right? Truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, we've got them all in spades. And no matter, each person sort of has some people are going to be drawn more by beauty, some by intellectual arguments, some by, uh, you know, that just that satisfying worldview, because this is reality about the human person, the goodness of the saints. We, we don't find, in general, we don't find people like Mother Teresa outside of the Catholic Church. I'm sure there have been many, but it, it's, it's so rare. I mean, this is the uniqueness of the saints and the goodness of the faith when it's lived out we don't judge the faith by those who clearly aren't living it and that's that's one of the great counter witnesses unfortunately of something like the abuse scandal and people unfortunately will judge the church by those who are not clearly not living out its tenets but those who do those who commit themselves to Christ 100% and pick up their cross and follow him daily their lives are transformed and that is itself a great great witness and people they want to catch the fever they want they want what we've got uh when they see it because it's real they can sense it somehow and it is so different uh, from what they're seeing in the culture let's go now to mark in newark delaware hi mark hi hi dale how you doing doing well doing well i'm calling a little bit off topic okay um but i wanted to i'm a catholic and i'm 62 years old i grew up in uh, Trenton, New Jersey at St. Raphael's, and I wanted to tell you a phrase that I thought we used um, on good on Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Remember that dust you came and dust you shall return, but in church on Wednesday they said, remember that you are dust and dust you shall return, but Dale, I'm not dust. I'm in God's image. Why are they saying, remember that you are dust? Yeah, well, that's obviously a good, good question, Mark. That's obviously a reference to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, where it talks about uh, God forming the first man, Adam, out of the dust of the earth. And the, the, the word Adamah in Hebrew actually means ground or, or dust. And, and so, yeah, it has to do with essentially the, the creation of, of the human body. And, of course, God infuses an immortal soul. Uh, into every person at the moment of conception. So uh, just a reminder that death is part of part of the deal. We will return to the dust, if you will. We will be buried in the ground at one point. But there's going to be a resurrection, of course, on the last day. So it's not our final place. Um, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous, as Jesus says. Uh, people will come out of their tombs, and it's going to be like... Neither the living dead almost. <laughs> it, it'll, but but it'll be a, a good resurrection for some, but but not a a good resurrection for others, unfortunately. But it's that's an that's an intriguing thing to think about too. The double resurrection: the good, the bad, and the ugly. They will all rise from the dead. Some will go to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. Uh, unfortunately, so we gotta stay close to our Lord. And stakes are high. Stakes are high, and that's uh, that's really. What, uh, where that comes from, Mark, and appreciate that call. Well, I did, I did promise you guys this. I did promise you guys this, that I would tell you what the cure for hiccups is. And this is, this is surprisingly really practical. We, we know this because from time to time this does happen. So this is 
totally legitimate information. You can trust this. This comes from Dr. Andrew Huberman, who teaches um, neurobiology at Stanford Medicine. Uh, and he, by the way, he has one of the most popular podcasts in the world. It's definitely in the top four. Uh, it's called the Huberman Lab. Super, super popular. And he talks about science. He talks about health research, um, how to sleep better, how to get in shape, how to the body-brain connection. A lot of interesting things. A lot of interesting things. But anyway, so he um, happened to post on Twitter the cure for hiccups. So check this out. But by the way, if you're wondering what hiccups actually are, like what causes hiccups, he, he says this. It's a spasm in the connection between your phrenic nerve and your diaphragm. Now, I have no idea where your phrenic nerve is, but uh, some of you might know. I'm sure we could Google this, but it's a spasm in the phrenic nerve to diaphragm connection. So to stop hiccups, and, and this, this will work reliably, if you want to stop your hiccups, he says to do this. You've got to inhale maximally through your nose three times with no exhales in between. Okay, so I don't know. I guess you just take like one really, really long breath three times. Like, okay, and then you hold it. You hold your breath for 15 to 30 seconds. And then you slowly exhale through your mouth. And then you're done. So once again, you inhale maximally three times through your nose with no exhaling in between. So three big breaths through your nose. Hold your breath for 15 to 30 seconds and then slowly exhale through your mouth. And apparently that works. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. I haven't had hiccups in the last uh, couple hours since I read this, but I wanted to share this with you because I don't know, especially, I, I don't know if it is any lesser when you're an adult, but when I was a kid, I used to get the hiccups all the time. And my mom used to tell me, this is my mom's cure for this. She said, go to the water fountain at school and take 10 little sips of water and then, and then bless yourself. And that'll, that'll cure it. Um, it actually never did, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. We, we, God cannot be manipulated like this, but other people have other cures. And, and when he posted this on Twitter, by the way, Andrew Huberman at Huberman lab is his handle. Uh, there were a lot of comments and a lot of people said, well, you know what? I still 100% bank on the old-fashioned way, which was apparently drinking a glass of water upside down. That's what some people would do to stop their hiccups. I'd never heard of that one before, but this is quite common. A lot of people posted that one in the comments. Uh, someone else said that Huberman should get a Nobel Prize for this, for curing hiccups. Um, and, uh, here's another one. And my, my wife said this. she's seen this happen to her friends. She had a friend where this, this girl kept hiccuping all the time, and her dad said, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can hiccup one more time. And he'd show her the $20 bill, and then she couldn't, she, couldn't, she couldn't do it anymore, and it cured her hiccups. So I guess she got the 20 bucks. But that's another strategy that people use. But um, anyways, uh, someone else said in the comments, I usually just dunk my head underwater and hold it there for like eight minutes. I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> But anyway, I don't know, for those of you who still struggle occasionally with hiccups, apparently that's the cure. It's a, a problem with a, a spasming with your phrenic nerve to your diaphragm connection. So you've got to despasm that circuit. you got to reset the circuit. So inhale three times through your nose without breathing out, no exhales, 
and then hold your breath for 15 seconds to 30 seconds and then slowly exhale. Okay, there you go. Okay, so. <sighs> yeah, that's, that's that. So um, that's your factoid for today. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-914. Four, nine. That is the number to call. Hey, if you missed the Faith Explained today, you should check out the podcast for that because we're looking at all of the furnishings in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is kind of the mobile temple for the Israelites as they're traveling through the wilderness to the promised land. And Moses went up on the mountain with God, brought some of his buddies with him. And they were in the presence of God. They, it says they saw God face to face and yet they didn't die. And they ate and drank and beheld God. Whatever that was like, I'm sure it was pretty awesome. And then God reveals a bunch of stuff to Moses, basically the blueprints for the tabernacle. He says, you've got to build it like this. One of the things that's there, this is really interesting. We don't really know too much about this, but I explained what's called the table of showbread or the bread of the face, the bread of the presence. What is that all about? It actually has something to do with the Eucharist. So if you didn't uh, get to listen to that, you might be interested in it. Uh, just go to the podcast on relevantradio.com or the app or wherever you get your podcasts and check it out. All right, so let's go to, we've got a phone call here from Joe in New Jersey. Hi, Joe. Hello there. You remember Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey, why? Radio talk show guy? I don't, he I was. don't. Oh, my goodness. He was on the radio for years and years and years. He gave a cure for hiccups. I'm serious now about this. Okay. About 40 years ago, and I use it all the time. It sounds funny. It sounds weird. You just take your index fingers and stick them in your ears, block off the airways, mm -hmm. and I've been using it for 40 years, and it works like a charm. Okay, okay so all you got to do is stick your fingers in your ears. Right, and block off, you know, make sure you stick them in and not just touch them. Okay. Actually, like you're blocking the ears, mm -hmm. and every time my hiccups have gone away. Hmm. It's been working for me for 40 years. So, well, Joe, I'll have to I'll have to check that because that's even simpler than what Doctor Huberman says to do. There's no breathing in. There's no holding your breath. Just okay. Just stick your fingers in your ears. Okay. It's funny that you say that because sometimes when I talk to my wife, she's done this. She stuck her fingers in her ears, and I I thought maybe she just had hiccups, and but maybe it was something else. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Appreciate that call, Joe, and uh, I, I didn't mean for this to turn into a, uh, a medical intervention show, but uh, here we have it. Here we have it. And uh, all right, we got another phone call coming in, so we'll, we'll see who that is in just a second. But um, I do want to get uh, some input from you guys about what you would like me to talk about over these coming days of Lent. It's, it's really an important season for all of us. So this is your show, The Kale Clark Show is your show as much as it is mine. So why don't you pop me an email? The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Let me know some of your thoughts. What are some things that you'd like me to cover, some questions that you'd like to have answered? would love to hear from you, so please email me. And you can also, of course, follow me on social media on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Unfortunately, I, I hate to disappoint you, I'm not on Instagram. I do have a face made for radio, so they tell me. They, they've asked me to stay off Instagram. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, twi tw Twitter's kind of my my thing, my thing. And uh, I, I, I'd give it up for, for Lent, but I, I get so many ideas for the show from Twitter. I'll tell, I'll tell you, it's unbelievable. Um, but I, I did give up some things um, for sure, and uh, hopefully they will work. I'm trying to, trying to lose some weight. 
trying to become more like producer Jim. Producer Jim's a machine. He's running all these marathons and working out and make me look really bad. So I have to catch up to him. How's your Lent going so far? I know it's only been two days, Jim, but <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. No major missteps. Ask, ask me again in two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, there, there, I'll let you know. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's important not to give up, folks. Not to give up. Hey, and I don't want you to give up listening to Relevant Radio, right? So keep it locked in. Tim Reese coming up next, and then Father Rocky with the Family Rosary Across America. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. See you tomorrow. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>